Take your Bibles, please. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to begin reading a little bit with verse 13. And instead of reading the whole passage today, we'll look at this a little bit at a time and work through it that way. We're going to be thinking about foundation for a new beginning, connecting with Jesus. Have you ever noticed how that certain places carry with them certain associations? You know, if you think about New York City, then you're thinking about art and entertainment and business. Or if you think about out west, maybe you're thinking of the Rocky Mountains. If you think about Washington, D.C., you think about historical monuments and politics. We won't think about the politicians. If you think about you know, the Hollywood, you think about movies and TV. If you think about the Midwest, you might think of corn and wheat. You know, different places have different associations. Well, that was kind of true in biblical times. And here in the first part of verse 13 of Matthew 16, it says, When Jesus came to the reason, region of Caesarea Philippi. Now, that particular reason had, region had some associations. And the associations there, there were a lot of religious associations there. That was up in the territory that early in Old Testament times was known as the territory of Dan, one of the sons of Jacob. And so it was a place where the Hebrews worshipped God. But later on in their history, that was one of the areas where they turned to Baal worship. So <clears throat> Baal was worshipped in that area. And then when the Greeks took over in that area, they worshipped the, the natural god Pan. And the, the area there, the city there, became known as Panius. Well, then the Romans took over. And Herod the Great decided that he was going to build a temple to the Roman god Caesar. And uh, so he built that, that temple for him. And his son, Herod Philip, came along and he beautified that temple. And he decided to change the name of the town. And he changed it to Caesarea, which means Caesar's town, and then added his own name. So we got Caesarea Philippi. So here we've got a place where at that time was, you know, worshiping the Roman emperor, combining politics and a decadent religion. So all those various religious associations, and Jesus decided he was going to take his disciples to that area. And, you know, that is what he did. And, you know, if you think about that area and the various religious associations, then you can think about our nation and how, you know, we've got a lot of Christians in our nations. We have Jews in our nation. We have Hindus. We have Buddhists. We have Muslims. We have, you know, people who call themselves witches. You, know, you could just go on and on and on. There are, there are a lot of religious associations in our land today. Two current trends stand out in our land today. One is syncretism, the combination of different forms of belief and practices. It's easy for us to take a religion and kind of, you know, put it as a veneer on top of our culture and do what we've always done. And, you know, we, we do that a lot and don't even realize it. At the same time, Today, there are a lot of people, especially young people, that want to take two or three different religions and put them all together. They, they say religion sort of uh, selections in a cafeteria line and they'll make up their own menu. I was coming back from a mission trip one time on an airplane and sat by a, a college student and uh, she 
we got to talking about religious things, and she said that, well, she'd grown up Catholic, but now she was, you know, exploring Buddhism, and she was taking some things from Catholicism and some things from Buddhism. And before I had a chance to explain to her that stop and think about this, in Catholicism, your, your goal is to, as an individual, enjoy heaven, and as Buddhism is to lose self-identity and the illusion that you ever were a self in the first place, and how do you put those two together? You know, you, you can't, but the plane landed, so I didn't get to explain that. But th that, that's a little bit about what's going on. You know, we're, we're, we're seeing religion as something that the individual himself or herself fashions. At the same time, we have this idea of religious inclusivism, the idea that all religions are equally valid. Now, in our nation, we've always believed in freedom of religion. You have the opportunity to worship anyone, anything, anyhow you please. We have freedom of religion. Somehow we've taken that concept of freedom of religion and said, well, every religion is the same. One's not superior to another. One's not inferior to another. They're all the same. And you treat them all the same. And Jesus took his disciples to an area where they had this kind of mindset. Now, a lot of different religions. You know, pick and choose. And so Jesus took them there, and when he took them there, he asked them two questions. Second part of verse 13, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So, a couple of questions. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And the disciples gave several answers. Well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus. He came proclaiming that we've got to turn from our sin and turn to God. And he was a preacher of righteousness. And he was preparing the way for Jesus. He was arrested by the Roman ruler. And in the course of time, he had him beheaded. And so, you know, when Jesus appeared on the scene, then this old ruler was thinking, oh my goodness, John the Baptist has come back from the dead. So some people were thinking that Jesus was John the Baptist. And other people were thinking, well, the disciples said, they're thinking you're Elijah. Now, Elijah was a great Old Testament prophet. And, you know, he was calling the people of God back to God. And, and it was thought that he would return and prepare the way for the coming day of the Lord. It, said, it spells that out in the book of Malachi. So some were saying that Jesus wasn't the Lord. He was the one sent to prepare. You know, he was Elijah come back. Others said he was Jeremiah, you know, the prophet who, you know, even though he went through a difficult time, began to catch a glimpse of the new covenant that God would establish with his people. Some said other, other disciples, other, other prophets. You know, the disciples gave different answers. And if Jesus asked that question today, he would still get multiple answers. There are many who would say, well, he was a great moral teacher who, you know, set a good example for us. There are others who would say Jesus was a revolutionary who took up the cause of the poor and needy. Some would say Jesus was simply a Jewish heretic. 
Others would say we really can't know too much about Jesus. You know, the, the, the manuscripts that we have about him are, you know, hundreds of years after he lived. And, you know, part of it's truth and part of it's, you know, just ideas men made up. Others would say when asked, who is Jesus? My Savior and my Lord. Jesus asked that question today. He would still get a lot of answers. But notice what Jesus did. He made the question personal. Look at verse 15. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Think about that. With all the various concepts of who Jesus is, who do you personally say that he is? Well, Simon Peter answered. Notice what he said there in verse 16. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What a good answer. What a good answer. He is the Christ. He is the one who is the anointed one. The one set aside specially by God. You know, in, in Old Testament times, there were, were generally three groups of people who were anointed. Uh, some of the prophets were anointed, especially anointed by God, and with the idea that they came and told people what God was like. And then there were the priests who were anointed, and they came and they connected people with God. And then there were the kings that were anointed. They were supposedly God's chosen ruler to rule over God's people. Well, if you stop and think about it, this Jesus was going to be those things. He was going to tell us what God is like. He was going to connect us with God. He was going to rule us. So he's the, the anointed one. He is the Messiah. The Jews were looking for a Messiah. The Messiah is a deliverer. They, they were looking for a political deliverer to come and deliver them from all of their enemies. A Messiah has authority. Jesus had authority. Have you ever noticed his teaching? He, he put his teaching above even Moses' teaching, the Old Testament. He said, you have heard that it was said, but I say unto you, Jesus took the same authority God has over the Sabbath and said, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. He was taking authority. Later, Jesus was going to say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's the Messiah. He's the one who has authority. He is the one who comes to deliver. To deliver, not politically, but to deliver us from the power of sin. Deliver us from the power of death. Deliver us from the power of Satan. He is the one who can set us free eternally. He delivers us. And then Simon Peter also said, you are the son of the living God. Until I was working on this sermon, I never realized how many times the Bible calls God the living God. Old Testament and New Testament. You can get a lot of references to God as the living God. First scripture I read this morning has the psalmist saying that his heart and his flesh cry out for the living God. God is the one who is life. He is the one who is the source of all life. He is the living God and Jesus is his son. The son of God. The son like no other has ever been. Remember when the angel came to Mary, said, you're going to have a child, and Mary said, how can this be? 
And the angel said, the power of the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, and the Holy One who will be born will be called the Son of God. Remember when Jesus was a boy, and his disciple, and his parents took him to Jerusalem, and he, you know, got lost from the crowd, and they finally found him at the temple, and they were said, you know, we've been looking for you for three days. Where you been, kid? And, you know, Jesus said, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Special relationship there. Even in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus, chapter 13, excuse me, chapter 11, verse 27, we read this. All things have been committed to be by my Father, Jesus said. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. The Son of God. The Christ. The Son of God. Simon Peter knew the right answer. Jesus commended his response. Look at verse 17. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. Where do we find out who Jesus is? Simon Peter, an ordinary man, figured it out. You know, Simon Peter wasn't the most outstanding character in the Bible, was he? Sometimes he was unpredictable. Sometimes he was impetuous. Sometimes he was undependable. And yet the Holy Spirit was able to illumine him so that he understood who Jesus was. Common, ordinary man. Recognize the Christ of the Son of God. We, we get that understanding of Jesus not through human reason. You can't think your way to understanding who Jesus is. It's never going to get you there. Just doesn't work that way. You can't look at the world and all the world stands for. You can't look at the world and all its glory and grandeur and figure out who Jesus is. Just doesn't work that way. How do we know? Through the Holy Spirit revealing Him to us. God comes to us and reveals Himself to us and tells us who Jesus is, shows us through His Word communicates His Spirit with our spirit so that we come to that understanding that Jesus is someone special and unique, the Christ, the Son of the living God. It doesn't come by human effort. It comes by the revelation of God Himself. Now, Jesus said something about the church in verse 18. He said, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. In the interaction between Jesus and his question, and Simon Peter and his answer, we find out what the church is all about. The church is not made up of those who have various ideas about who Jesus is. It's not made up of those who say, well, Jesus may be this, or Jesus may be that, or Jesus may be this. Uh-uh. The church isn't made up of those people. The church is made up who are able to understand, who it's been revealed to them, and they've accepted the revelation. They make the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the one who was coming, the special anointed one of God, the ruler, the deliverer, the Son of God. That's who makes up the church. 
It's the people who believe in Jesus as God has revealed Jesus. And Jesus uses such people to build His church. Listen to what Simon Peter had to say about this. He said, As you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You also, like living stones, are built up to become a spiritual house. That's what the church is. The church is people who know who Jesus is and have accepted who Jesus is and are following Jesus. God takes us and puts us together to form the church. Jesus also said His church is an indestructible church. He said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The Greek word there is Hades, which means the abode of the dead. Death isn't going to prevail against it. Church can lose members through death. Church is going to remain. The worldwide church is going to remain. Nothing is going to take it away. It is Jesus' indestructible church. He's built it. And what He builds lasts. Something else he says about his church. He says, it is my church. Did you get that? He says, and I tell you, I will build my church. Church doesn't belong to the preacher. Church doesn't belong to the deacons. Church doesn't belong to the leaders of the church. Church doesn't belong to the whole congregation. Belongs to Jesus, His church. Good many years ago, a man went to a small town, and he, a man standing on the street, twenty went up to him and said, "Can you tell me where the Church of God is?" And the man said, "Well, let me see. There's the Baptist Church down the street. Uh, deacons run that church. Uh, the the Presbyterian Church. I, I think I think that belongs to the elders over there." The Methodist church has got you know, a really rich family in it, and, and, and that church belongs to them. He said, you know, mister, I don't think God has a church in this town. Sometimes we act that way. It's not our church. It's Jesus' church. It belongs to Him. He is the head of the church. And He takes His church and He builds it. Now, when you are led by God to see who Jesus is, then you follow Him as the Messiah, and you are blessed. Did you, did you notice what it says here in the first part of 17? Blessed are you when Simon Peter said who Jesus was. Jesus said, you're blessed. Have you ever thought about that? You are blessed when you know Jesus is the Messiah. You are blessed when you know Jesus is the Son of God. You are blessed because you know the truth. You know the truth that will make a difference in your life for eternity. You are blessed when you accept that truth. You are forgiven of your sin. You are blessed when you embrace that truth because you have received Jesus into your life and you have His life. You have eternal life. You are blessed. And I tell you, you are blessed in another way as well. You are blessed with new connections in your life. You're blessed with new connections in your life. You're connected to Jesus. 
There's been a bond formed between you and Jesus. You're holding on to Him. He's holding on to you. You're connected to Him. You belong to Him. He's not going to let you go. You're connected to Him. You are connected to other believers. We follow Jesus. We become part of the church. Now, think about those early disciples. They hung together. They didn't always get along together. Did you ever notice that? You ever notice, you know, sometimes they would think, well, one of us wants to go this way, one of us go that way. You know, most of them wanted to be top dog, you know, in the, in the disciple band. You know, they had their squabbles, their fights. They weren't perfect. But after Jesus' crucifixion and the reports of his resurrection, you still found them that they hung together in the upper room. And after the Holy Spirit came on them, they hung together as the Spirit gave them utterance and they proclaimed Jesus. They weren't perfect. They didn't agree on everything, but they hung together. God puts us into a church. It's not perfect because He put us in it. If it was perfect before we came, it wouldn't be afterwards. But we hang together because we're part of His church and Jesus has built us up. And when that happens, when you experience these things, when you're connected to Jesus and part of the church, you want others to experience this as well. So you try to connect others to Jesus. Bring them to that place. Connections. We're connected with Jesus when we recognize who He really is. Connections. Jesus connects us with each other so that the church is built up. Connections. Jesus continues to build His church as we work as individuals, as we work together to reach out to others and bring them into fellowship in the church. Connections. Understand something for us as this church. Our proposed new mission statement is built on those connections. Our proposed new mission statement is built on those very connections. Connecting with Jesus. Connecting with others. Connecting others with Jesus. How about that? That's what we're looking forward to doing. Understand something as an individual. As an individual, you have to ask, answer Jesus' question. Who do you say that I am? Ask Jesus. What do you say? You could give a lot of different answers. Well, you know, I, I think that maybe Allah, that's the real God. Or, or you know, I'm... I'm, I'm kind of intrigued with this idea of Hinduism, that there are just thousands and millions of gods, and maybe I need to explore and find out if one of those is the real God. That didn't happen with us much. You know what happens with us? Other gods get our attention. Materialism. The Bible says greed, which is idolatry, worshiping things. Our family can be our God. Our occupation can be our God. Our quest for a good time can be our God. Sex can be our God. We've truly made it a God in our nation today. There are a lot of gods out there. Where do you think Jesus fits in? To you is Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. How do you get connected to Jesus if you want to be connected to Him? You are connected to Him by belief. Listen to what the Scripture says. John chapter 1, verse 12. To all who received Him, 
to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become the children of God. John 3.16, Scripture says in that verse, you know it, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life comes through belief in Jesus, commitment to Jesus, accepting Jesus for who He really is. And in Romans, the Scripture says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. You will be connected to Jesus now and for all eternity. Jesus said, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You believe in Jesus, you follow Jesus, you accept Him as the Christ, your Deliverer, and as the Son of God, your Master. You need to do that today. Who do you say that He is? Can you say He is the Christ, the Son of the living God? And mean what that says. Maybe today, you have come to the realization that God wants to take you as a living stone, as one who believes in Jesus, and put your membership in this church because He wants to use you to build up this church. And because He's leading you that way, you're going to come today and you're going to say, I want to put my membership at Holland Avenue Baptist Church because I know that's what God wants me to do. This is where He wants me to serve. Maybe you need to come today and say, Hey, I need to get more serious about connecting others with Jesus so that they can be blessed as I have been blessed. What's God calling you to do this morning? How are you responding to the questions or the question that Christ Jesus asks you? Our imitation hymn is 470.